here we are. And this is a different kind of broadcast today. It's you and me just sitting across a table and doing a very brief introduction to a live interview we did with Gary Hampton. Gosh, a while back now. It is, Liz. It's actually... um it's a really interesting conversation that we're going to air in this episode. This is our colleague Gary who was doing some work with the Royal Commission into Child Sex- Sexual Abuse or institutionalised child sexual abuse that we had here in Australia a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And so he gets to talk about what it was like working as a social worker and working with prisoners and their experience of institutional abuse and the responses that the institutions occur as a result of this yeah and so he talks about what that was like for three years he worked in that space yeah amazing work that he did can we just up front just do a bit of a trigger warning for our listeners Liz um Gary doesn't go into too much graphic detail about child sexual abuse itself he talks a lot more about the prisoners um, that he met with and the experience of being in prison and telling these stories. But I do think that if this is a topic that really touches our listeners in their lives, then um, please take care of yourselves. Uh, this might be a hard one. Absolutely take care of yourself, but know this. The power of telling a story and its healing impact is something that is a feature it really story. is. That, that comes out so strongly in this conversation. We're going to play the story, the conversation that we had for everyone, and then we're going to touch base again at the end. See you back then. Hello, everyone. This is great to be here today to do this recorded conversation. I'm here with my co-host, Liz Murphy. Hello. I'm Mim Fox and we are joined rather wonderfully today by one of our social work tribe, Gary Hampton. Hello, Gary. Hi, Mim and hi, Liz. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Gary, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers today um, because it's a bit complicated. So maybe you can introduce who you are and why we've invited you to be a guest with us. Yeah, yeah, sure will. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm Gary Hampton. I'm a social worker, um, having been out of uni for just over 20 years now as a mature age student, as you know, Min. Um, and I work in health now, So, um, but I, I don't really want to talk today about my work as a senior social worker in health. I'd like to focus on an opportunity that I had um, a, a, about 18 months ago and beyond, um, when I was able to work on, while on secondment at the Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. So it was a fantastic opportunity for me as a social worker, and I was there for nearly three years, and I was very fortunate to be given the secondment opportunity from, from health to stay there for that, for that time. So I worked in, at the Royal Commission for the last three years of its um, existence. Oh, perfect. I'm so glad you're here because Royal Commissions is something that definitely happens, it feels like all the time in Australia, it does, Liz. doesn't it? Mm. It feels like there's always a new one. And um, in the environment we're in now, the government has just announced that in the near future, we're having another one into disability services. And so it's kind of timely to visit the Royal Commission that you were involved with, Gary. And also because you are a social worker, to talk a little bit about what that was like for you. Maybe you can tell us a bit about how that Royal Commission was set up 
Yeah, yeah, it was set up before I was there. The, my Royal Commission that I worked on um, was a five-year Royal Commission and it originally was set up for three years and then extended for another two years. It was set up by Julia Gillard in partnership with Tony Abbott. So it was a bipartisan um, approach. Um, half a billion dollars was allocated to its, um, to its running and over that period of time. And um, so yeah, it was set up in partnership by the two, by the two political parties. So it, that was done very thoughtfully, I think, because um, it wasn't able to be criticised and it didn't be, become a political issue in terms of um, that political adversarial process. That's really important, isn't it? Yeah. Like when you've got the social justice issue at the crux of it, you want to make sure it's then not going to be taken over by the political agenda. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's a fantastic legacy, I think, for, for Julia Gillard in able to setting that up and, and very thoughtfully um, consulting with all those powers to be and uh, behind closed doors. And when she when she, they chose the five commissioners for this Royal Commission, so amongst those five commissioners, they were quite represented, representative of different um, professional and per personal backgrounds as well. Oh, so a commissioner doesn't have to be a judge. They can they can come from different professions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. I think at the royal commission that I was at, the child abuse royal commission, um, a few of them had a, a judicial uh, experience in their careers, and but and there was a psychiatrist. Um, was another commissioner. She was the first Aboriginal uh, doctor in Australia, and she specialised in psychiatry. Helen Milroy. Um, from Western Australia, her mob's from Pilbara area, and um, yeah, she was one of the five commissioners. So, so it w yeah, and there was another female commissioner as well who was a judge in her career. There were there were three three men who were um, who were um, commissioners as well. So right. there were five. Yeah. So the two political parties found these ro these five royal commissioners, appointed them to the royal commission, and then. How did you end up coming on board, Gary? Oh, through word of mouth, really, through the social work um, grapevine, actually, <laughs> ah, a few I love years it, the later. social work grapevine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, my understanding of the way that, that, that I ended up there, the way that social work ended up there was um, when they first set up the Royal Commission, the five commissioners set it up very quickly and then they, they had their framework and um, they had their terms of reference and letter patent, that letters patent that, that set them up. And so when they started doing their work talking to victims, survivors of child sexual abuse, they suddenly realised that they needed to be able to provide support for the people coming forward because at that time they hadn't employed any social workers or counsellors or psychologists to help in that process. And so from there on in, they, they found some social workers, it was, and one psychologist and two social workers, I understand. And then from there, those people set up the counselling team right. at the Royal Commission. And is that unusual? Had that happened before, that there would be a counselling team to support the survivors? Yeah, yeah, I don't know in terms of in the Royal Commission sort of history of Royal Commissions. I'm not sure. I don't know how... Um, yeah, how the other ones were set up, you know, there, and maybe that's an, that's something to look into for some of those other royal commissions. I love that that's where social work sat, though, in that mm. team or in the layout of the Greater Royal Commission was around the support for the people coming forward to tell their stories. Yeah, yeah, because um, very quickly the the staff at the Royal Commission very quickly learnt that um, and saw that that it can be very traumatising to for people to o open up these issues for them again. 
and to enable that to happen safely so that the, so that the survivors, victims uh, or victims um, can do that in a safe way. They needed to have these wraparound supports from the, from the outset, from the, from the moment they first made contact with the Royal Commission through to the last contact. Right. And so did they draw on social workers who were working in the field of trauma or childhood abuse? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the social workers had worked in sexual assault services in the past. And, um, and so, of course, that was part of the, the, um, the position descriptions as well, that you needed to have some experience working there. And I, had, I was fortunate enough to work with one of the, what they call the clinical leads at the Royal Commission. She was a social worker. I was fortunate enough to work with her at a major teaching hospital in Sydney. And in that time, I was in sexual health and I was able to, I was, I was working with some clients um, who had experienced sexual assault and I was work, had that supervisor in sexual assault who helped me work in this new era, area for me at the time. Right. That's great. Mm. I'm really heartened to hear actually that that's the background mm. they wanted people to have. Yeah. I mean, a Royal Commission like this, this is sensitive. Yes. Yeah, you know, so yeah. just to be clear, it's into institutionalised sexual abuse, right? Yeah, it's it's the Royal Commission into institutional responses to sexual... Institutional responses. So does yeah. that mean that people who had experienced child sexual assault in their home don't come into this? Uh, technically, yes. They, that, um, yeah, if, if the abuse was in the home or familial, as we called it, or if it wasn't within an institutional context, then Technically, they couldn't be heard with this Royal Commission, but they were still eligible to all of the wraparound supports and counselling supports. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they weren't actually brushed aside. No, no, yeah. no. They were treated with the same respect and the same opportunities for therapeutic support and benefit and assistance than anyone who contacted us. Um, and uh, but this this Royal Commission focused on institutional responses to it. Okay. So when people disclose to them, what did the institutionalise? Ah, okay. Um, and so, Gary, what would be some of those institutions that were targeted? Um, so yeah, any institution in society which was had an, which was organised by by some sort of societal organisation, really. So anything from schools to religious organisations, sporting groups, um, cultural groups. Um, Right. Really broad, broad um, use of the term. Okay. Any sort of organisation, <coughs> yeah. service. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. That makes sense. Any and religion, any um, sporting group, dance clubs, okay. cultural groups. So what was your role in all of this? Right. What did you do? Yes. So my role is I... Um, yeah, I worked there. I was the manager of the counselling unit within the prisons. We, we called okay. it the Inmate Engagement um, Strategy, IES, we called it, the Royal Commission. So um, it was a, it was a um, program focusing on, on prisons in Australia. So, so the, one of the commissioners, um, Robert Fitzgerald, he made a commitment to, for the Royal Commission to go into every prison in the country. Wow. Uh, yeah. How yeah. many? 102. 102. 102. 102 prisons in Australia. Yes. Yeah. The way we count, or the way the Royal Commission counted it. Yeah. 102. And so they, the Royal Commission went into every, every um, one of those pr prisons, and we took a commissioner into about 62 of those prisons. So one of the Royal Commissioners, um, one of the three of them that would go into prisons, um, att actually attended those prisons, and we. And through the 
safe therapeutic model that we had, they met face to face with the prisoners who then disclosed to them about the impact of the abuse that they had experienced as a child in an institutional context. Gary, before we go any further, can you explain what that safe therapeutic model look like? Yeah, yeah, because that that's the biggest fear in every prison and, in, and even the biggest fear in the Royal Commission too, that, that the Royal Commission will open up this panacea, this this pack, you know, can of worms. Of course. You know, we heard Pandora's box, all yeah. those all those terms. You're just gonna walk in here, open things up and walk out and then people will be left re traumatizing. Yeah. Because that's what social workers do all the time, yeah. Gary. <laughs> We right. open up. We open up wounds and we, then just right. let them sit. Right and fester, fester. Right. Thank goodness you actually. The role of social work was to do that continuity mm. of care, right? Yes. To actually make sure that yeah. that didn't happen. Yeah, very much so. From the from even before people contacted us or spoke to us, through to after through to the whole process, and for many for, for numerous people there was quite a process of engagement. Some people it was just one or two two times when they contacted us, or three times. Um, but there was um, very clear wraparound supports, as we called it, for people throughout that whole process. So it was completely voluntary. Yes. Prisoners were t residents of jails. Do we yeah, call inmates them? or um, inmates. Yeah. So inmates were were informed about what was happening in terms of the commission. Yes. And were encouraged. To invited, invited yeah, yeah. to um, be involved and tell their story, yeah. but there would have been information that was given to them so that they could have gone away, thought about it, yeah. and then they would have come to who? Who would they have told? Who? Well, they told us. We would. We went into the prisons, ah. and um, so we. It was from the outset. It was a top-down approach with the prisons. So it, we we broke this country up state by state, and we focused on one state at a time. So then we would meet. First of all, at the beginning of the Royal Commission, our commissioners met with the, each commissioner of um, corrective services in the, each state across Australia, and those commissioners of corrective services gave authority to our Royal Commission to access any part of the jail that that we deemed we wanted oh, okay. to. And um, and they, their staff were instructed not to um, not to stop or hinder our work and to support our work. So we went into every prison um, with that mandate, really, which is quite amazing. I've worked in prisons before. It's Gary, amazing I access. have this image in my head of Orange is the New Black, and there you are walking around the yard, whispering, going up to people and going, "Hey, come on, come talk to the Royal Commission." Like there was a little, is, of, was that. It a little yes. of that. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. <laughs> I know, amazing, <laughs> amazing to think that we're there. We were in rural. You just wander around going up to yeah. people and saying, "Hey, if you yeah. want to talk about your child se childhood sexual abuse, come talk to me." Yeah. <laughs> we're, at wow. that point, we were walking the yards. We said, "We're just quietly." They no announcements. We said, "Don't announce us. We'll just walk through. You can watch us to make sure we're safe, of course, and don't don't put us into a yard where we're going to be unsafe." So, yeah. you know, we with those areas, we we found safe ways of of talking to prisoners. Um, but often we just walk through the yard and we say, oh, did you get the pamphlet that was left under your door last night? Yeah, well, we're just, and that's, people would say, yeah, a lot of people just walked by, didn't want to yeah. talk to us, and that was fine. Yeah, but, uh, but then lot, did you find them come later? Yes, yes, yeah. because they were also given ways that they could contact us. So it, prison phones, we had, we, they, we were given, we gave people um, the number that they could ring us 
directly from the prison to the Royal Commission. Fantastic. Yeah. So they didn't yeah. have to tell any staff right. yes. or anyone yeah. that they wanted to communicate yes. with you. They had That's a way right. to do it. Yeah. That's amazing. And we, we saw most of or most of our people without corrective servicing knowing or documenting um, their talk with us at the there, there. That makes yeah. a lot of sense yeah. actually. So yeah. Gary what would have been the sentiment behind it? Like, so why would anyone have been interested in telling their story? What was their motivation? Yeah, for me, I, I work mostly with men, because most prisoners are men, um, and um, mostly I work with men. Um, so my my understandings are only from that sort of, that, that client group, really, but most of the men, by and large, spoke to us for altruistic reasons, that they, that they wanted society to improve. They, they didn't want the young people of today to experience the abuse that they had experienced when they were young. Right. And that was the main driver for, for the guys that spoke to us, because there wasn't actually any other reward for them. They weren't, they weren't given anything other than, other than that opportunity and the Royal Commission's gratitude and thank you. They come to talk to us, but they didn't actually get anything. They, no, there was no payments, there was nothing. And what you described before is actually that they had the chance to talk to an actual Royal Commissioner. It wasn't that the Royal Commissioners were just looking through screeds of transcript, mm. that actually they had the opportunity face-to-face yeah. -to, -face to talk to someone who was going to make a difference. Yes. Which is quite incredible. That's not the image I always had of how a Royal Commission worked, no. actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing that they went in there and did that work face-to-face -face with these inmates. Yeah, absolutely, and the power of that and the respect that, that, that they earned during that process. Of course, there was a workup beforehand. They didn't, we didn't just grab someone from a yard and take them in with a prisoner, take them in with a commissioner. There was a process, because we, we did all that workup you know, a month before. We took, a, uh, took the commissioner back to the prison. The, yeah, the commissioners went to nearly two-thirds of the prisons in the country, so, so we went to those two-thirds of the prisons, those 62 prisons, a couple of times. Mm. And this, the last time we went, we took the commissioner with us, and the commissioner sat with the commissioner's um, support person who was, who was um, in the room with them. So usually there were just the three people in the room, the commissioner, the commissioner's support person, and the prisoner. What was the commissioner's support person doing? Uh, taking notes oh, okay. and um, and just ensuring that um, the correct all the data data gathering information was collected okay. because yeah there was a lot of data gathering stuff and information gathering of course yeah, yeah. and looked after all the all the factual things the commissioners were treated very well they didn't you know they just come in and. You know, whatever you need. Not just your normal tea and bickies. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, nothing more than that in the jails, that's for sure. <laughs> Gary, can we go into the room with you and an inmate? Mm -hmm. So someone has said, I do want to tell my story. Yes. Then you would meet with them. Yep. What we confidentially found a way of um, meeting with them confiden confidentially um, at a later time. They so often walk in the yards, people might slip us a piece of paper or come up and say, I want to talk to you, but I don't, can't give you my name and number because it'll look like I'm, you know, I want to talk to you. So, you know, so we'd find ways of, of, of bringing them back the next day or a few days later to a different part of the jail, often in education or somewhere, when people were new, didn't know, you know, the other prison population didn't know where we were meeting. They came in there. We quietly spoke to them to ensure they met the terms of reference, and there were three terms of reference. When the abuse happened, it had to be sexual abuse under the age of 18 within an institutional context. Once they met those three criteria, then we would say, you know, 
you know, would you like to have a private session with the commissioner um, in whatever way? So people would then choose whether they did or didn't. If they did want to, then um, we'd say, oh, well, we'll set that up for you at a later date when we're back in the prison, but um, you can, you know, you can expect to hear from us. And so... Um, so did they tell you their story at that point? Yes. Okay. Yes. So how did, yeah. how did you engage them in the story? <clears throat> yeah. So there were always a couple of us in the room with the prisoner at this point too. And um, we, we had to very quickly ensure confidentiality and privacy, explain to them the, the limits of our role as well and the, that, that we were separate from the prison setting and that, that we're not going to answer, feed back to the prison, prison staff around what we're talking about. Um, we also had had were able to offer them counselling and other other support, either internally or external to the prisons. So, so in the pre-work, we linked in with the support staff, if any, um, in the prisons. But all the prisons had access to um, had phones, and so on those phones, we had. Um, we had numbers set up for, say, Relationships Australia or Centre Against Sexual Violence and, and phone support numbers for prisoners to be able to call. We were also able to um, offer other supports according to the prisons as well. Right. So, so it seems like that building that trust in that first conversation would have been paramount to whatever came yes, next. absolutely, absolutely. And also realistic realistic um, discussion around what what will happen with your information that they tell us yeah. and you know that if there was any risk of harm to self or others that we'd have to override that confidentiality and we'd need to report that to the prison staff. Um, I was going to ask you yeah. if that sense of trust has been built then who knows what then is going to come out right? That's so right. were there moments yes. where you heard things that made you either concerned for that person's safety or concerned about the prison environment that they were in? Um, yeah, both. both. Okay. Um, more so around the prison environment um, probably was more common, um, where the people were going back to. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, one fellow said to me, you know, um, we had to say, oh, you know, told us this big story and... Um, it was time to go back, and time's very quick in the prisons. You know, we had a lot of people to see us, and there's a there's a there's a regime that has to be followed, and so you have to do this very quickly. But this guy was quite upset at the time, and he, he said, "Oh, just give me a minute. I'll put my face on before I go back. I've got to put my face on." And so then, you know, you just sat there, and you saw him pull himself in, pull himself together physically, and physically yeah. you know, and mm. wiped away the tears. and Right, and become tough again. Become tough again, yeah, yeah. And off he went into, you know, very, you know, a section of the prison where a lot of very violent people, you know, so there's a, there's a, there's a face that, that prisoners have to have and we, we ask people to let down their guard and open up to us yeah. and about these very, very, you know, emotional experiences that they had as children, as boys or teenagers, and then, yeah, and for them to trust us with that information, and then pack it up again and yeah, such a privilege. Did, did Amazing. You feel like there were times when it was the first time the story had been told. Yes, very much so. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And and the the statistics are all online. The final report um, around first disclosures and and. Um, um, yeah, uh, uh, and and the different subgroups of people who experience the abuse that identifies all of the um, 
um, the ages for when first disclosure happens, you know, men, women, um, and then breaks it down within institutional context as well. So the, the prisoners, I think, their, first, their, their abuse was a little bit older then first, their first sexual abuse was a little bit older at the, their age when that happened compared to other people in the community. Um, and so then the age of disclosure after that abuse happened, you know, I think men, men and women, it's 20, 20, 20 to 30 years um, after the abuse happened when they first disclosed. It's amazing um, they carried that for that long. Yeah, yeah. The prison group, the, the stats are a little different. Um, but yeah, yeah, the, the men, um, men in prison, I think, were abused a bit older than other people, but they were a younger cohort in prisons that we spoke to compared to the, compared to the men in the community. So, um, yeah. The oh, that's interesting. So the men themselves were of younger age, yeah. but the abuse happened maybe when they were teenagers yes. rather than small children. Yes. yes. How interesting. Yeah. Okay. So Gary, back to you as a social worker in that room with the inmate. So a lot of your, like what, what were the skills that you were using with these yeah. men? You know, it's hard to identify, you know, they're all those basic social work skills yeah. of the mm. interpersonal connection, honesty, um, integrity, um, of course the counselling skills of open-ended questions and boundary setting and, um, and the theories, the counselling theories that we use, but mostly, you know, it's those basic interpersonal rapport building skills that, that, um, that we learn in, at, at uni. Mm. This is mm. what I love, though, about social work <laughs> skills, right, is that it doesn't matter whether you're working in a community setting with people with disabilities or family support mm. or in a school or if you're working in a prison with men who've been abused as children in an institution, right? Yeah. It's the same skills that are carrying you through all those settings. Mm. I liked earlier, before we started recording, you talked about the bearing witness mm that that was a big part of your role was to bear witness and you know for many survivors there's a strong sense of shame that goes alongside you know the experience of the abuse um, and how important it is to bear witness without that person feeling like they're being judged or mm. so I mean I, I guess you needed to create such a safe space for these men yes yeah 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 and um very much so, and in the, the Royal Commission, in the broader community, there were about 8,000 private sessions occurred, and of those 8,000, 800 of them were, were with prisoners. Wow. So we, we conducted wow. 800 private sessions um, in prisons across the country, and, um, but there were many, many, many more who didn't get to that private session point. Many men have told us stories and said, we don't want to have a... Um, have a private session, I just want to tell you this information. Um, there were police reports as well, you know, through that through the process of the Royal Commission that if if um, if there was any current child at risk, then we report it, it was mandatory. Um, or but if if people told us about um, the abuse that had occurred to them when they were children and and did we said, you know, we'd offer them, do they want a police report, if appropriate, if the, if the perpetrator was still alive? Um, and they said yes, we'd put in police reports. So there were follow-up opportunities for people as well. 
many, many men didn't want a police report. They didn't want to just let, let us know that the abuse happened. Um, but left it at Which that. is really you bearing witness to what oh, occurred yes, the for them. Witness, yeah. Yes. I, I, I yeah. guess I'm wondering, like Liz was saying, that sense of shame that people feel. And with them being able to tell their story to you, did you feel like just that process was making an impact for these yeah, men? Yeah, very much so. And the Royal Commission opened up an opportunity um, for men, particularly in society, um, to be able to talk about the abuse that had happened to them. And um, within the first few years of the Royal Commission, um, it was mostly men who came to speak to um, the commissioners. And I think it, it's, it's still, overall, more men than women spoke to the Royal Commission. And it was mm. the older group. So it was men between 50 to 70 years old, I think, that for 75. That was the most common group of people that spoke to the Royal Commission. So it was men in those age groups who were abused when they were children. And of course a lot of those men were abused in institutions that types that don't occur anymore. So there were uh, orphanages and mm, child migrants and Of course. Yeah, and, and so, you know, there, we saw that, that change of, of institutional type. So it, it so one of the big issues that came up for the men that we spoke to, and this is for all men really, not just the prison men in prison, but for all men that we spoke to at the Royal Commission was the the fear or the concern around the impact of the abuse that they had experienced as a child. They were, um, very often they were worried that, you know, that what had happened to them when they were sexually abused as a child, would they grow up then to be perpetrators? And it was such a, um, a common fear amongst many of the men. That is such a sad thing to sit with. And yeah. did, they, did they raise that with you, Gary, or did you raise it in the, the course of the conversation? Or? Well, usually it was them that raised okay. it um, when they're talking about the impact of their abuse, you know, the physiological impact sometimes or the emotional impact and the impact on relationships, you know, um, because often abuse happened not just once in an institution. Some, some many men, you know, and, and other victims are abused multiple times. So... So there was a lot of concern around the impact on relationships and a lot of talk about, the, and then men we spoke to usually were older, they talked about the impact of that abuse on their own familial relationships and with their kids and That they like had that. lived with this fear that maybe they might perpetrate abuse yes. because they had been a victim of it. Yes. And, and the impact that that had had on them living with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, what impact did it have on them? Did they talk about it? Yeah, many, yeah, look, there was one guy who, um, who, who when, I, when I told him the statistics that, that we, we quoted around um, perpetrators and their perpetrators' own experience of abuse, when I told him those statistics and said, you're much more likely not to become a perpetrator, it, you know, only a small percentage of men are perpetrators, even if you were abused as a child. And th this look came over this guy's face, and I thought, I, you know, thank oh God, what's happening here? And he, he became incredibly emotional, and so and I waited and gave him time while he was upset, and, um, and he said, oh, I can go home and um, hug my grandchildren now. Oh. And I, th I thought... Oh, that is heartbreaking. Because he I know, had and stopped... He had, and he said, he then went on, because I'm trying to make sense of it, he then went on to say he wasn't able to hug his own kids. Oh. And oh. That, that understanding and fear of him being, he might become a perpetrator of abuse to his own kids stopped him from hugging his kids. And, and during this brief process that we had with him, he, he said, I'm going to go and hug my grandkids now because I can. Wow. 
Wow, just that, that is piece just, of information. That is just yeah. impact oh. of yeah. the work that you did there and then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That is immediate yeah. feedback of the yeah. impact on this person's life. Yeah. That yeah. is incredible. I know. What a relief. I mean, do you kind of imagine him going back to his life thinking, I can actually disengage in a, mm. in a more natural way, knowing yeah. that, I, oh, yeah. fantastic. So Gary, a lot of what you're talking about is actually really sad, right? Like yeah. I, part of me sitting here thinking, how did you finish work in the evening and then go home after hearing all these stories? But then the other part of me listening to that goes, what a sense of satisfaction know, in this amazing, role. Isn't it? Amazing to be able to be part of the part of a, a, a cog of a system that enables this sort of personal and um, political change. Yeah. Know? And and for that man, the, the change on their, their family and his relationships and his life and you know, for him, he'd carried that the effect of that abuse for so many years. He'd think he was in his 60s or 70s, you know, and he'd carried it for so long. Uh, such profound work that social workers can do. Amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, just that process of bearing witness for men who the first time that they ever saw that they had an opportunity to tell anyone... Um, they in were there. authority as well. Yeah. And in authority. In authority. Yeah, yes. it wasn't just going to go nowhere. It was actually no. going to be speaking to yeah. the government it's about their experiences. Commission, the highest level of inquiry that we have in Australia. So, um, so do yeah. you think? Do you think though? I mean, there's a personal impact on the man himself mm. who's told that story. But could you see an impact from the royal commission? Do you think? Um, While you were working in that space did you feel like you were part of an impact yeah, that was happening? certainly really amazing even just changing the um the cultures within prisons because so many of the prisons not in every state though but in most of the states they had a had, had a culture and some of them had policies and past policies of not to talk about child sexual assault to prisoners do not open it up and, um, oh. An explicit yeah. policy explicit, just to yes. shut that door. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that you work on with prisoners while they're prisoners um, because it's not the right space to do it. But we actually found that, you know, within the right um, framework it is, it's a, really, it's a really great opportunity because the people have time to think about it. And, um, they have time to process, actually. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it's a fantastic therapeutic opportunity. And many men found that. You know, and so yeah, some people just the bearing witness to be able to give that to people and hand it over to the commissioner. People, some people, not so much in prisons, but some people brought stuff and handed it and left it with the commissioners, and that symbolic, symbolic process of just saying this is what happened to me and something I'm not that they've written, Gary, anything, or yeah, written or, or made or, or emotionally familiar. handing it over yeah, now yeah. and not oh. keeping it with yeah. them. It really says a lot for the therapeutic environment mm. that a prison could be. Yes. Very if much we so. actually allowed that yeah. emphasis to be there in yeah. a more developed Absolutely. way, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Gary, I'm really curious about you, the social worker in that space now, and what that was like for you to hear these stories. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazingly um, privileged to hear them, you know. And people, you know, people say, oh, I don't, "I'm not sure how you could do that work," and I think, "Oh, it's so, so energizing." you know, to to be part of such a process and in the, working in the Royal Commission for a start um, and, and having access to, to prisons and to people who's, who, who so value the ability for them to share their story with you um, that, 
yeah, the, it was just amazing for me as a professional. It was such a highlight of my career, of my life, to you know fly across the country and um, and um, do this sort of work. It was pretty amazing. I don't think many social workers. You know, have that no, great right. opportunities. Yeah. I think that were outrage. I was just like, I was just wondering about: did the stories sometimes break your heart, outrage you, and how did you sit with that? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of injustice in the world. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of sadness. You know, people. Yeah, a lot of people have had really sad lives. You know. And you just like I'm. I'm kind of thinking. Was part of that the reason they ended up in jail? Like, did it send them on a trajectory? Like, there were some of those yeah. men saying to you, if this hadn't have happened, if someone mm. had have taken my mm. situation seriously, I probably wouldn't have been here yes. Yes. today. Uh, yep, yep. And there's lots of those, lots of that advice came from people and prisoners who spoke to us at the Royal Commission, and they informed the 400 and something um, recommendations that, that the that this Royal Commission um, submitted to government. Um, so many of those times that they said that, that this thing should have happened instead of that. You know, yeah, it's just heartbreaking, right. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Two-thirds of the men that we spoke to in prisons were abused in either out-of-home care or juvenile justice. Okay. So they were already these... So they were supposed to be in protective... Yes. spaces and that was exactly yeah. what they didn't achieve. Yes, okay. out of home care and juvenile justice by staff. Yeah. It was the staff in these places or the carers, um, the, the people who should have been looking after them that actually you know, perpetrated sexual abuse on them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, before we finish up, it's been such an amazing conversation, but before we finish, I really want to ask you about, you know, I'm really conscious that there's a lot of young either social work students or young social workers listening or watching this who are thinking, I want to do that, yeah? I want to work in that area. And I guess you've said that you came from a trauma social work experience, like you'd worked in trauma and sexual assault, and so that helped you. Is there anything else that you think young social workers might want to think about or take opportunities around um, to, or ways of thinking that might get them into some sort of sp similar space? Yeah, yeah. Look, the, um, the training at University of Social Work is so broad, you know, the, the interpersonal work that we learn about through to the societal and organisational and structural um, focus of, of the different subjects that we study in social work. I think really enable us to, uh, it's a really great broad-based degree with great broad-based skills, so I'd just encourage the first couple of years to sort of work in, in some different areas to, to really incorporate some of that knowledge, um, so try something a little bit different, um, yeah, and surround yourself by good people. Sounds like you also need to be a bit brave. Yeah, I would yeah, say you've got to if jump. you're going to take risks in those yeah. early few you've got years, to jump. <laughs> jump with close your eyes and jump. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but do it safely. Do yeah. it. Do it. You know, um, think about it and talk to your talk to good good people around you around what you're doing and and um, but yeah, at some stage you've got to jump. <laughs> I think that's excellent advice. Excellent. Isn't it? Yeah. Can I ask one question, mm. Gary? Will the commissions work? The Royal Commission's work actually protect people from this happening again? I don't know if, if we can ever stop this sort of stuff ever happening. Um, 
Are the recommendations going the, to be followed through? Um, well, hopefully, yeah, yeah. There's a whole lot of work. There's a lot of funding that's set up to help with the recommendation. There is a redress scheme, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you know, how much momentum the national redress scheme scheme has been able to to get going at the moment. I'm not working in the area at the moment, but um, that's not moving fast from what I can see. But there's. Um, there has been a whole lot of changes with child protection and even the societal awareness that, that sexual abuse does happen and um, and I think there's many much more um, many more of us have got a um, uh, an eye for it now I think yes. to you know an, an awareness that the systems that we set up that humanity sets up needs to they need to be safe systems with safeguards and structures yes. in there mm. yeah. yes yeah. Mm. absolutely. Yeah. Gary, thank you so much. Thank it has you, been Gary. brilliant having this conversation with you. We really appreciate it. Mm. Thank and you. Um, look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Absolutely. Great. Love to. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Hi, everyone. We're back. And um, I really hope everyone really enjoyed that uh, live as much conversation. As what you and I enjoyed having it. Oh. So it was yeah, great. it was a fantastic experience to spend some time with Gary and hear about that amazing experience. What was really great as well, Liz, was that we actually recorded that and we filmed it. And so we're going to make that available on our website, www.socialworkstories.com, uh, so that everyone can see what <laughs> you and I look like in action, but also meet Gary. Meet Gary, yes. Yeah, yeah. great social worker, great colleague. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. So thanks everyone, have a good week and we'll be back with a more traditional style Social Work Stories episode soon. See you later. Bye, Bye everyone.